0: everybody. It's your girl Dawn with Research Shows. This is Season 3, Episode 9. We have with us Joseph M. Leonard, author of Terror Strikes with the subtitle of Coming Soon to a City Near You. So how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing pretty good. Uh, We had some snow again here in Michigan yesterday, a couple inches, so thankfully that's melted again. I was like yesterday... I thought spring was here, but Mother Nature says, Ah, gotcha.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I'm grateful that I think our snow is pretty much over with in Maryland, so
1: Yeah. <laughs> we okay. thought we were done too, but who knows?
0: <laughs> no, know, it's it's so unpredictable at this point in time. So <laughs> now I want you to please tell us about your book, like the inspiration for your book, the background, and what made you write this book.
1: Yeah. Well, let me first start, I guess, by giving the elevator pitch, as they call it. And they call it that because, you know, if you get on an elevator, you want a short pitch between floors to be able to tell someone who may be interested in your book. And that goes as follows. Terror Strikes is not just a book, but a book within a book as the lead, Martin, a newspaper man, is writing a book about terrorism himself. It is also a blog within a book, as Martin uses his 9-11 blog as some source material regarding the 9-11 attack chapter strikes not only acts as a history lesson and warning, but concepts of not just those lost, but survivor's guilt and other related issues surrounding violent acts affecting everyday life. And then uh, if I have more time, I always like to add that this is not a book about death. Despite the title, it's really a book about life and living, and about those both foreign and domestic that would deprive you of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, as well as it's a book of for all audiences, and, I, and I'll get into the inspiration in a second, but it is for all audiences, both young, you know, middle-aged, old. Uh, this is something that you can buy for a junior high or high school student because there's a lot of history. This is a faction book, part fact, art fiction, or some call it historical fiction. So it will teach uh, you know, high schoolers a lot of history they're not getting in schools these days. It's also for men and women. This is not a Rambo blood and gut, them up, pow 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 every minute of every page, you know. So, men and women will both enjoy it. It is for the religious and non religious, political and non political, but it has to deal in those subject matters because it is the stated reasons why most of them want to kill us. And as for the inspiration, it actually came to me in a dream in 2006. And I started the book in 2006, and it just never quite fully developed and then the dreams came back to me again last year so i picked it back up again and that's kind of the inspiration for the book okay
0: Um, and um when you mentioned it's part fiction can you elaborate on that? Because I don't even think I've ever heard a book classified as part. Um, and I'm not really an avid reader, so that probably is not saying that much. <laughs> so, so, can you explain to my listeners what does that mean when you say it's part fiction?
1: Yeah, I I call it faction. Uh, some people in the in the industry call it historical fiction. Uh, but again, it's a blend of fact and fiction. I try to take the a reader through the journey with Martin as a fictional character writing his book and he's researching terrorist attacks of the past and you know near present and projects what may occur into the future. So part of the chapter's deal in the development of the fictional story with Martin and his family and his friends and his research in his book. And there are some chapters that deal in historical fact, like a chapter on Toronto, Ontario, Canada and the Toronto 18 terrorists, London, England and terrorism there. Madrid, Spain, the terrorism there, Tokyo, Japan, the terrorism there, as well as a fictional chapter that takes place in uh, Lachlan, Nevada. So you kind of go on a journey with Martin to virtually through uh, other places to get a handle on terrorism as a whole, because it's not just one place it's all over the place it doesn't affect just one peoples and it's not terrorism by just one peoples and if someone thinks this book is a islamophobic bashing book it is not it does not go there it goes out of its way to make the point that there you know terrorism aren't just islamic fundamentalists and Muslims are not just Arabs, and not all Arabs are Muslims. You know that, you know, there's hate all around. And this book tries to take on both sides of that hate and that nonsense.
0: I like that. I really like that. To get So you're getting like all different sides of the spectrum instead of just like the tunnel vision type thing.
1: Exactly, exactly. If there, someone's looking for a book bashing Islam, This is not that.
0: All right. Okay. So I remember reading um, when you wrote me initially about uh, mentioning how the media kind of portrays terrorism. Can you kind of like delve into that and explain your perspective on that? And I guess, do they hide it or do they like sugarcoat it? What do you think about that?
1: Well, it depends on the instance, of course. They seem to have their left-wing narratives they prefer and anything that they can identify as a quote white supremacist unquote kind of attack they love to play those up mm-hmm. while other attacks they, they downplay uh, like if you recall and let me say this one of the first things need to be addressed is that it's a myth that terrorism waned during the Wuhan virus lockdown. It's not true. The attacks continued. It's just that the media mainly hyped up for rating purposes the Wuhan virus hysteria, even though that virus has a 99.8 survivability rate. It was, uh, so they kind of downplayed or didn't, bothered to show you the terrorist attacks unless if there was something local to you Right. with one exception the waukesha wisconsin christmas attack right and they kind of you'll if you noticed some of the media channels were happy to show that when they thought it was just a horrendous accident right they thought somebody just turned down the wrong road and accidentally hit some people when they could play that angle for ratings they were happy to cover it but when it turned out uh it became more and it was shown that daryl brooks was indeed engaging in a terrorist attack right they then it kind of just Conveniently faded from their coverage. Yes, and
0: And uh, I I totally agree with you. And um, it's very difficult for me to have these conversations with um, people. I just say me personally, who I'm around, especially mostly Black people, are Democratic. So you can't even dare uh, have those type of conversations with them. Now I have like one lady who's on the opposite end of it that we can, and then a lot of people who are hidden. Where they don't want to, you know, tell, you know, other people, yeah, they really feel the same way as what you're saying. And that um, a lot of that particular side of the media, they portray it a certain way and they have, they're powerful, you know. And um, you're right. In regards to what happened in Wisconsin, it did stop. As soon as they figured out who it was, what it looked like, was it even spun as terrorism? Or like, did they word it the same as they would as the other, you know.
1: Exactly, exactly. And that's called being an activist, not a journalist. And my book is about Martin being a journalist looking at terrorism from the most dangerous parts of terrorism, the most that affect us, but an honest approach at it. And uh, like the Wisconsin thing uh, could have been avoided. Had they actually arrested him for attempting to run down his significant other with the very same vehicle? Oh, my, I didn't know this. See, I you not don't know, know this because the press doesn't want to report it. Because that goes to the Democrats' weak on crime philosophy. If You know Rudy Giuliani was mayor of New York. And he instituted a get-tough-on-crime policy. And he cleaned up New York with what they deemed, they called, they dubbed the broken windows policy, which meant lower offenses. They didn't just let slide. If somebody was jumping the subway turnstile, they didn't look the other way. That is a minor offense. But they found when they arrested those people, They found often they were wanted for other crimes. So if you take these petty criminals off the street, you actually prevent greater crimes from happening. And the left hasn't learned this. They're letting people out on this no bail thing. And this clown, Daryl Brooks, that committed that genocide, and I'll call it genocide, killing people by running them down with their vehicle at that Christmas party. Daryl Brooks should not have been let out on the streets to commit that act. That act would have been prevented if he were in prison for his previous offenses.
0: But you know what else, too? Um, And I'm finding in local government and um, even states, you have people in positions that have the power to do what you say, which is to prevent certain things from happening people just don't care. They're coming to work for the eight hours and they're leaving. You know, it takes a lot for somebody to be passionate. They have to be passionate about something in order to care enough uh, to implement something like that, What you're saying. Like, I get it. Like, depending on the ratings, they'll spend it whatever way they want to in order for more money. Even if they agree with it or they don't agree with it, they'll spend, you know, Whatever narrative right. they have to spend in order to get whatever, you know, taken care of. So, yes, I do agree with what you're saying. It's not an even uh, portrayal of what's really happening. They're spending whatever they got to spend in order for ratings. That's how you get. It's clickbait. You know, you go on Facebook. They measure whether or not somebody is going to advertise with you based on uh, how many times they click on your link. So they'll say whatever they got to say in whatever title to get whatever reaction, like like manipulation. You know?
1: Yeah, well, you mentioned the people in power are not caring, and you're right. It's because most of the ruling elite themselves are paid pretty well, and they get to live behind the gated community fences and walls and barriers and pri- have their own private security. So right. a lot of this stuff doesn't affect them. So right. they really don't care. As long as the crime is happening to you and not them, they don't care.
0: Right. That's that's true. It's like a lot of things that have to get done, uh, even if, I mean, I've just noticed, just living, either you're going to make them care, if they care about themselves, or you're going to make them care. And the only thing that makes a lot of these people care is, loss of income, something like that, you know, sanctions from, uh, you know, you reporting them to federal agencies, whatever it is, not getting elected. It's only certain, I guess, chess pieces that make certain people care because you find a lot of people they're not passionate about what you're saying at all.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And, And it's not just ruling elites. There are other useful idiots for the ruling elites, too, who are like ostriches. They bury their head in the sand. And as long as it's not happening again directly to them, does not directly impact their life. They stumble through life blind, oblivious to everything going on around them. Yes, Because they are about them and only themselves. They do not care about being their brother's keeper
0: right absolutely and um yeah i find that um among a lot of people in a lot of different demographics where they'll just look the other way and just as long as like how they say it's easier if you can't beat them you join them it's easier <laughs> yeah. just to, it's just easier just to be like you know what let me just pretend i like this person so that you know they won't turn on me but they're not realizing they'll turn on you too. Like, it's a way of life. If you don't have any integrity and you're not being fair, you know, even in reporting, you're going to do that to anybody. You'll just, it's like this cancel culture thing, no matter what, it's dangerous because it's bullying. People will jump on it and just because everybody else is saying it, and that doesn't necessarily mean it's correct.
1: Yeah, it's like the old saying, uh, they're willing to feed the monster in hopes that the monster won't eat them. Too stupid to realize that the monster's just saving them for last. And, or it's like the uh, old phrase that came out of Germany, and I'm drawing a blank. It wasn't Bonhoeffer that said it, but I forget who said it. But, you know, the famous quote First they came for the trade unionists, and then I said nothing. And then they came for the Jews, and I said nothing. And then they came for me, and there was no one left to defend me. Yes. Paraphrasing, of course, that isn't a direct quote. (laughs) I don't have the direct quote written down or who actually said it. I forget who it was, but, you know, this is the problem. There's no history classes in school anymore. People don't learn history. And as the modern phrase goes, the history may not repeat itself, but it sure as hell seems to rhyme a lot.
0: Oh, my goodness. Yes, exactly. And it's so sad that people um, I didn't understand to the pandemic happened that we're literally leaving our children to be raised by a system. So it's like your, your child is with the teacher eight hours a day. You might get a few hours, you know, to spend with your child before they go to bed. So they're um, they're limited to what they can teach. I don't care what the teacher's political rebu- views are, religion, whatever it is, even teaching your child how to cope, coping skills. They, it's like they have to do whatever their supervisors tell them. So, And that's dangerous because they can spin whatever narrative they want and have everybody on this same fantasy, you know? Yeah, the,
1: the lockdowns have shown parents finally what's going on in their schools. And, oh, yeah. And parents are finally paying attention. And I address that in my book the indoctrination. They're no longer teaching reading, writing, and arithmetic. The three R's, as we used to joke, let alone any history at all. It's all about left-wing radicalism and raunch. They're pedophiles in our school pushing, pushing raunch and sexualization of our children in grade school. They have no business doing that. Grade school children aren't Thinking about sex, and they have no business introducing that and pushing that on our grade school children. That is for the parents to introduce when their children are ready. But we don't get that. But you know, and I addressed this in the book to a degree where I say Martin's wife Hope is—they uh, have the fortune of being a one-income family, and Hope is a traditional mother stay-at-home mother to raise the children and she spends a lot of time at night countering the indoctrination not quite homeschooling but you know taking a direct interest in what their kids are learning yes their three daughters are learning in school and countering that indoctrination with the things they're not getting And why I say this book is important for junior high and high school kids. So, you know, buy a gift for a high schooler, a niece, a nephew, a grandchild, if you have one that may be of that age. This book is important for them as well as you.
0: Right. And um going back to what you were saying about the pedophilia, I had a lady um who's not from where I where I live that was explaining this and it sounded crazy when she was saying it. And then when I started digging deeply, I found they had people literally convicted or on trial for pedophilia. And instead of firing it was one particular guy in my county, instead of firing this man, they just moved them to be around the special needs children. I mean, how yeah. sick is that? I mean, yeah. you're gonna yeah. pick your children. Who um won't be believed, or you know, maybe they can't articulate things the same as children who are not special needs, and I was like, that was my first peek into understanding um how jacked up the school system is.
1: Yeah, we've had cases like that here in Michigan. Indeed, they don't want to fire them; they just move them onto another district, so it becomes another district's problem. And we we had that uh, Larry Nasser. You remember the University of Michigan case, all the gymnasts that sued against University of Michigan because he was abusing the gymnasts under his care?
0: Yes. I
1: mean, this stuff has been going on for a while. Again, because of the Wuhan lockdowns and all the Zoom education, parents are finally finding out what's going on. And there are literally pornographic books being in, you know. Fictional pornographic books. These books have no place. Where are the classics? There was a reason why we used to be taught *Catcher in the Rye* and uh, uh, oh god, what's the uh, *Atticus Finch* book? Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> I'm having a mental block now, but oh, it's okay. <laughs> you, know, you know, all those *Huck Finn*. There was a reason. They claim they were taken out because of racist material. Well, that was the point of the doggone book teaching, to teach against racism. And now they want to cry racism in the name of peddling racism instead, or peddling pornography in its place when those important classic books need to be read. You need to have your children read those classic books and discuss the material with them. They weren't there to teach racism. They were there to teach against racism. Martin Luther King's dream is so long dead, it seems now, with critical race theory. They're peddling racism in schools, not anti-racism. You know, and Martin Luther King Jr.'s gotta be rolling in his grave. They are trying to get kids to notice skin color rather than content of character. It is disgusting. And a lot of these teachers need to be fired. And we need school choice so more children can go to charter schools where this crap isn't happening.
0: Well, I'll tell you this. With the onset of the pandemic, a lot of parents are now homeschooling, myself included, so that you can control more so what you want to be taught, because as long as children are in the public school system, you have to go with what your district is willing to implement. And there is funding behind the uh, critical race theory, which is why when they first were talking about it in my county, I was thinking, my first thought was, what's the purpose? Because I said it gotta be funding attached to it, because why else would they try? You see what I'm saying? Like, a lot of things that they teach are based in funding. So yeah. The, yeah. Well, I that's the key I think the key thing is eventually it's looking like a lot of people is just pulling their kids out. Like how I did. You could have never told me I would have pulled my child out to homeschool. Hey, I just want to do a quick ad in regards to research shows podcast. We have both a morning show and an afternoon show. So let me tell you real quick. The first show which is the morning show mondays at 6 a.m we have multiple guests we talk about current events realty past events we got a gaming segment we do everything on that where you literally see the full personality of me, Don Williams, and the people who I talk to and share this with. On Thursdays, we concentrate on entrepreneurs for the most part. So you get to hear different perspectives from people who are on different parts of their entrepreneur journey, and perhaps you can take something that will help you. So so don't forget to visit us at our link tree to get all the links, which is linktr.ee forward slash research shows podcast.
1: Well, I'm glad if, I did. If you can homeschool, you should. But not everybody like Hope in the book. Hope and Martin could homeschool entirely uh, because Hope's a stay-at-home mom. But I don't approach that homeschooling subject. But yes, if anyone can homeschool, they should. But not a lot of people can. A lot of people need both incomes, both parents working, or single parents. They can't. That's why we've got to have more vouchers. It's your tax money anyway. You should get control of that money and get to say where your child goes to school, not the government. And the federal government, the Department of Education needs to be dismantled. That's where the the money is, the strings that are attached to that money so that the federal government, the liberal deep state, controls the education system with that. We need control turned back to local school boards and eliminate the Department of Education. The funding strictly is a 10th Amendment state's right issue.
0: Yeah, (laughs) because me reaching out to the Department of Education for when it was rampant bullying, down here, they they really didn't do anything, right? And that's the only thing that they did, which was it was to cover their high part, so that if I would win a lawsuit, they wouldn't be liable. That's the right. only thing right. that I saw federal did, and that's the only thing I saw that state did. I was shocked because I'm like, so county has all the power, but they're given this fantasy that they don't. So when, of course, your natural you know instinct is to reach out to higher government, but really. There, what they did was just cover themselves from liability. Yeah.
1: Anything the federal government touches, it destroys.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree.
1: You've got no, you've got got very little recourse. And uh, this is a way off topic, but uh, the 17th Amendment needs to be repealed.
0: And tell everybody what the 17th Amendment is.
1: The 17th Amendment is the amendment that made direct voting for state senators, for okay. your, your two senators to be elected to go to the U.S. Senate. And that is an absolute bastardization of the original founder's intent. We are not a democracy. We are a representative republic. And the two state senators who are meant to be sent based on the state legislature that you have more power and control over of electing your state legislature used to then select the two states senators that would go to Washington. And that system completely threw out of balance our original founding republic. And now it's all about the money. Who raises the most money usually wins. Yes. And people pandering for votes rather than the state senators representing their best interests under the 10th Amendment of the states within the federal system. Right. A lot of this has gone wrong because of the 17th Amendment that one of the checks and balances was removed.
0: Well, that's going to be hard because I believe amendments, they're very difficult to uh, to change, right? It takes a lot.
1: Yeah, that would be an issue for like a convention of states. If we do have a convention of states to implement term limits and force a balanced budget amendment, they could potentially repeal the 17th amendment and return us to the uh, Founders Republic, like like Benjamin Franklin said when he was asked, What have you given us? And he said, Dear Madam, a Republic, if you can keep it.
0: Okay. Well, I don't know if that will happen. <laughs> <laughs> I just, look, I think it's been years since they've changed the uh, amendment, right? It's been like decades, right?
1: Yeah, I think
0: so much.
1: I don't recall uh, the the year that the last amendment was actually enacted, and that's exactly right. I mean, the general amendment process, uh, again, in part because of the Seventeenth Amendment, uh, is is untenable almost. It's unrealistic that you will ever get sufficient number of states to ratify amendment let alone the congress to ever consider an amendment for ratification to go to the states that's why our last chance our last opportunity and the brilliance of our founding fathers put uh, such an uh, uh, option as a convention of states in so that we the people can rise up against a tyrannical overblown fascist federal government.
0: All right. So um, my last question for you is what's the goal? What's your ultimate goal for your readers? Like what do you want them to learn as a result of reading your book? Well,
1: that's, that is a tough one to uh, answer Uh, Mm -hmm. again. For some, it will be the historical aspects of things that they've not learned, again, for younger people. Now, for, like, somebody my age or, or older or, or for someone like you, I, ju- I want you to get entertainment out of it and because things are so serious these days. Uh, there's a chapter in there called Comic Relief, even. So I want people to get a couple things one being life is so serious, you still have to try to keep a sense of humor and laugh at things when you can. Uh, uh, Because another part of the book deals with suicide prevention because things are so serious. And with the Wuhan lockdowns, there's a lot of uh, younger people committing suicide. That has to be dealt with. And, you know, there are various sub things and sub themes and subtopics of great importance to deal with in there. And the last thing is that uh, hope is not a strategy, as the saying goes. Hoping that terrorism won't strike you is not a valid strategy. You can't be in Oscar. If you're at, If an ostrich wanders onto the railroad tracks, hears a sound, buries its head between the rails and the tracks, isn't going to stop it from being bowled over by the train just because it doesn't see it and hear it anymore. Right.
0: Right. Absolutely. And a lot of people I've met um, of all different ages, when you say that, put your head in the sand like an ostrich, when when I'll say something that happened like an event, they'd be like, what? Oh, I don't even watch the news anymore. I'm just like, I mean, so if some crazy stuff happened, where are you going to be? Like, you have no idea. Like, I mean, I think that that's crazy. I think that's a crazy uh, problem solving method to just hide from it. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> I agree with you wholeheartedly.
0: Yeah, you should, you should at least, I would at least want to know. But, you know, people just, they don't want to face anything. So it's just right. like, nope, right. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. You,
1: you can't prepare for something that you don't know is happening or about to happen. You can't oh, prepare. You're just, you know, waiting to be a victim, right? Exactly.
0: <laughs> exactly. So before we close out, I would like you to tell everybody where can they find your book. If you had a website, anything like that, go ahead and say it so my listeners can find
1: you. Yes. Uh the, if you're in the United States listening, you could get an autographed copy. Well, one, you could go to Amazon or any, you know, Amazon Books, a Million Barnes and Noble. But if you'd like, and you're in the U.S., to get an autographed copy, you could go to terrorstrikes.info slash buy. Terrorstrikes.info slash buy. And I'll happily send you an autographed copy. For the price that Amazon will charge you. And also I have an author site that's josephmleonard.us and there's no Owen Leonard. It looks French. It looks like it's Lenard. It's spelled L-E-N-A-R-D, but it's not. It's actually derived from some Polish name way back when. One of these days, I got to go through Ancestry.com and hunt that down what the name originally was. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's great. They did an autograph copy, too. That is wonderful. So, I just want to thank you for coming on my show. Oh, and, thank um, you for having
1: me, Dawn. I really appreciate this opportunity.
0: Yes, it's been great. I love getting different perspectives, because as I spoke earlier and said, I have clients on all different sides of you know, their points of view and their political views and all that. So it's, I like hearing other people's perspective on things. So anybody listening to this, um anybody listen to this on YouTube, you can also go to iHeartRadio and view this podcast at tinyurl.com forward slash DMS, iHeart, Apple Podcasts at tinyurl forward slash DMS, Apple One, and on Spotify at tinyurl forward slash DMS Podcast. And please go ahead and rate us And have a great day on purpose.